touch his hands, his side, nor follow where he trod. But in his promise we rejoice and cry, my Lord, my Lord and God. We walk by faith and not by sight, tempered by resurrection might. Touched by the Christ, our risen Lord, cleansed by the water and the word, help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Help them, O Lord. where you are found, that when our life of faith is done, in realms of clearer light, we may behold you as you are, with full and endless sight. We walk by faith and not by sight, empowered by resurrection. Christ our risen Lord, cleansed by the water and the word, help us to walk by faith and not by sight. My faith looks up to scripture. Our reading is from Luke chapter 19 verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was but on account of the crowd he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your home today. 
So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. And all who saw it began to grumble and say, He is gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. So Gius stood there and said, <clears throat> and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay it back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. It wasn't too long after Debbie and I got married that I noticed there was some difference between us. When I go to the coast, I'm going to the ocean. And when she goes to the coast, she's going to the beach. Debbie sets up on the sand, she lays out, she relaxes, she reads, she sleeps. I pause there at the sand, I drop whatever I'm carrying, and I head right into the ocean to play. To Debbie, getting her into the ocean is a whole nother thing. It takes some um, inviting 
And I, I learned earlier on that coaxing is a lot better than demanding. And, and actually there's a, a routine involved once she gets herself over the idea of getting wet. There's a pattern of approach and avoidance of getting a little closer and pulling back that ensues. And, and she cautiously sticks her toes into the water at the edge and she tentatively allows the water to swirl around her ankles and she gingerly gets in a little deeper into the waves. And then finally comes the big plunge if the water is warm enough, that is. Otherwise, no plunge. My wife is circumspect about the ocean. The extent of her encounter depends on, well, it depends on the invitation and the encouragement, and it also depends on the ocean's warmth. This is a whole lot like Stage two, discipleship. We're looking at stages of discipleship this summer, thinking about how, what we talked about at Lent, how we're aiming at being fully invested disciples of Christ, how that is aided by our practice of mercy and uh, compassion. And as we practice that, and as we grow into the fullness of a disciple, we're moving through stages, getting closer and closer to being fully immersed in God and doing what God would have us do, being the way God would have us be. And the thought is it begins with just kind of standing on the beach wondering what is this God thing? We talked about that last week. We talked about how it is helped along by a, a church person inviting the unchurched person to, to come and, and see if the church is all that it says it is. And that person is able to risk coming to church because of their trust in their friend who is inviting them to come along. I don't know if you're aware that research shows that very few people come to church without a personal invitation by a trusted friend. They call this elbow evangelism. And the truth of it is, is that you friends, you are the front line of making disciples of Christ. You are the main workers who are building the growth of the church through your willingness to invite others to come and see. See if this Jesus thing is real. And truth needs to be told that a growing church is made of invitational members. If members are not invitational, the church simply does not grow. Now today we're looking at stage two of our spiritual growth. We're thinking about these stages in terms of ourself, kind of like wondering, well, I wonder where I am. How am I, how am I moving along in my faith pilgrimage? We're looking at it for that reason, and we're also looking at it to ask ourselves the question, well, how's the church, how are we all doing at providing the opportunities to help somebody move along in their discipleship, to go from 
standing at the beach and wondering to out swimming with the dolphins. And I guess that dolphin is the Holy Spirit. I don't know what the dolphin is, but I'm going to call it the Holy Spirit hereafter on our graph, playing in God with the Holy Spirit. So we're looking at life on the shoreline today. And the thought is, the fun thought is that it's a lot like this graphic is, where, where someone is just kind of dipping their, their toes in the water, testing the waters. Now, for many of us, this stage is a stage that we are way beyond. We did this years ago. We tested the waters. We decided the church delivered what the church talked about, that there was the encounter with God that was life transformative through the church, that there were genuine people of hospitality and love in the church, and that they nurtured us and and gave us a place of being in family with them. Many of us have, have had the stage two, and we're beyond that. But there may be some here this morning, there may be some who are, are at stage two, that they're, that they're curious and they're, they're, testing, they're testing the waters, seeking to see if what the church says about itself is true. Remember last week that, that Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus and said, come and see. We, thought we've, we think we've seen the Messiah and and he was, uh, I don't know, people from Nazareth, you know what they're like, and yet he came on his friend's word, on his friend's elbow. He came and met Jesus. Today we have Zacchaeus who has heard about Jesus, and so he, he being a, a little guy like Jenny over there, climbs up the tree so he can get a better view, you know? All these tall guys like Donovan are standing around, she can't see a thing, so climbs up the tree to see, and Jesus sees him, senses his hunger for something, and says, let's eat and talk about what it is that you're searching for. So let's take a closer look at what's involved in this process of of spiritual growth. After after the initial on the elbow of somebody encounter in worship, the seeker returns to church curious. Is this for real? Did did the thing I experienced last week or last month, is is this a real thing or was I misled? Is the water really warm like they say? And the the seeker is looking for a powerful experience, uh, perhaps a healing experience of God through through the worship experience. And the person is is wanting a genuine and supportive human encounter, something that feels authentic, that they actually noticed me being here and took the pains to welcome me. What's interesting is that that new person, that guest among us, brings with them a heightened sensitivity, a worriness about how they will be accepted, how they will be seen, and an uncertainty about what to do. When do I sit? When do I stand? When is it the red book? When is it the black book? 
We all know what this is like. If, if you've gone to a, a Roman church and, and you weren't raised in it, or if you've gone to a Greek Orthodox church, we went to a Greek Orthodox wedding and they were spinning around three times for this, three times for that. And I was wondering, were we all going to get up and march around three times? Was that part of what was going to go on? When you're new, you don't know. And you are a bit anxious about, well, what's actually going to happen? So they come with a heightened sense of being a, a newcomer, a sensitivity about that, of being in a new circumstance. A self-consciousness about their identity and their behavior, what to do, when to do. Yet they also come with a, a hopefulness because for some reason, they've come. For some reason, some nudging of God over the last month or year, something that's happened in the family or with the child or with the parents, something at work, something in society that's troubling, something has cracked, has made a hole, has made a desire to explore this thing that they've heard about rather than to just keep going on outside the door. And they come with this hopefulness. Sometimes they can't even identify. Sometimes it's very clear. I just lost my dad. Sometimes it's just an uneasiness of spirit that there must be something more and the way I'm doing it isn't getting me there. They feel like they've actually put their hopes and their yearnings in a big sign on their arm, that they're wearing it on their arm and they're, and they're kind of self-conscious about that. We may not be noticing that they are very aware of that. And with that hopefulness comes a, an ease of being dissuaded They feel like they can easily be exposed and made to feel a little less than the average bear in the room, a little more needy than the average needs. The self-consciousness that they have is cutting two ways, making it difficult for them. We need to keep this reality in mind in terms of our guests to worship. We don't want to say, hey, you're new here. What's your need? How are you hurting? I think I could maybe help. We don't want to be doing that, right? But we want to have a sensitivity to their sensitivity. If we want to be the body of Christ that reaches out in love and compassion to all who are coming. And if we want to build a church of people who are not just us, I'm going to have to say this straight out, that I have been in churches. This is not the one I'm talking about. But I have been in churches where people actually have complained about the church visitors because they got in the way, they're a bother, they're kind of a nuisance. Why are they so shy? What are they scared of? Why are they hesitant? Why are they needing all this encouragement? What's the problem with these folks? Can't they just strike up a conversation and join in with the rest of us? We're normal people. 
Why do they need special attention? Now again, this is prior parishioners, not you all, that have said this to me. And they've made it sound like they're put out. They're, they're being put out by visitors to church. Put out that they would have to attend to the needs of the visitor. And actually think about that. Is that how you welcome people into your home? Is that how you welcome people into your heart? Is that how you help to share the Savior with somebody who's falling headlong into the abyss? We are hosts. We are hosts of God, of the Spirit, of Christ Jesus. Welcoming guests into our spiritual home. Hosts who are hoping that they will find the same nourishment, the same glimpse of the heavens, the same experience of mercy and love that we have. Do we want to assist people into faith or do we want to inhibit people into their relationship with God? People come with all the anxiety and sensitivity of newcomers to an uncertain place, an unfamiliar people, and it's our job. Our initial ministry on behalf of our Lord and Savior to lower their anxiety and to attend to their sensitivity. Come and see worship needs to be combined with high impact hospitality to help meet the needs of those who are hoping that in our midst will be a taste of salvation. Worship that is relevant, that is uplifting, that's informative, that's inspiring. Worship that is healing. We hope that we do that for you. I know with, with Jenny and Gloria and all the other music staff, it's, it's our prayer on a weekly basis that we craft a kind of experience that offers this to you and to whoever comes in our door. We also need to be extending a kind of uh, extravagant hospitality to these folks so they know that they are welcome here so that when you're a visitor to this place, you feel like these people are glad that you have come and hope that you will come back again. Genuine, authentic, warm, overflowing. First impression ministries, these things are called. First impression ministries come in a variety of ways. One of the ways is the condition and the presentation of our buildings and of our grounds. If they look cared for, it looks like people care for what's going on here. This is important that we are refurbishing our 
40-year-old rug. That it's actually going to be the color it's intended to be all the way around the space and down the hallway. And it won't be burnt out white or purple or greenish or blue in different places depending on the decades of sun upon it. First Impression Ministries include signage and the ease of moving around the place. You drive into the parking lot, well, do I know where I'm going? Well, kind of. I get out of the car, I walk towards the buildings. It's a Sunday morning. Um, I'm thinking, where do I go? Do we have signage that makes it comfortable so that you as the stranger can kind of feel, all right, here's, here's where I head. I... I said this about La Jolla last week, and I hope they don't listen to the tapes <laughs> of my sermons. I hope I'm, I'm gone from them as far as that's concerned. Because they had an abundance of signs. But they were like an inch and a half big. <laughs> and so when you got to some place, you were bombarded with six lines of instructions about what to do. So you had to pause there. You really couldn't kind of glance and know where to go. You had to really unpack that sign. Kind of like when you call somebody on the phone. Press one if this, two if that, three if that. So you had to kind of go through, okay, this, so I'm going right now. So you walk down about 15, and there, here's another battery of signs. No, 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 It kind of made it hard. Signage is important so that people feel comfortable. They have a sense of where they're going. It's, it's something that helps to lower the anxiety than raise their anxiety about where should I go to seek what I'm looking for. Greeters and ushers and, and pew conversations that happen with visitors, glad you're here and meaning it, are very important. These are first impression ministries. And after worship, out in the coffee hour, lots of people have talked to me about how when they're out there, one of you come up to them and help them to feel at home and welcome, acknowledge that they're there. This is most important. Some of you have been to other churches where you will say to me, you know, I went there three times and no one ever acknowledged that I was a new person. You know how crummy that makes you feel and how, well, you really wonder whether there's real, genuine relationship, authentic caring in that congregation. Maybe they're just happy declining in their size and they don't want invigoration of new people. If you want the invigoration of new people, we step out of ourselves and we greet those new people who happen to be among us. I'll tell a story on myself, and this is a, a bit embarrassing, I suppose, but um, I suppose there's a lot of things I do that are embarrassing when you get right down to it. But I used to think my role in worship was just like when I was an athlete, that I would, I, would, I would get into my office, like in the locker room, and I'd psych myself up. I'd, well, which in, I would pray and center myself and <laughs> psych myself up for what's going on, right? And, and uh, visualize all the different things and get really all excited about it and then kind of bust out on the scene a minute or two before it started to make sure everything's ready, and then we go. And, and that was my concept of the, the right kickoff to the game. Um, and then I realized that um, the game really had started before I showed up, that it, it really began 
before it started. Worship began when people started showing up. Not when Dild showed up. It was when people started showing up. And it dawned on me that to be really welcoming, I needed to be there present when people were starting to come and, and greet them. And I know Rachel and I try to do that. Sometimes we're better at it than other times. But it's, it was an important learning for me that the, the interpersonal exchanges from me were important on a Sunday morning, not just the conduct of worship. We share clergy and laity together. We share the responsibility to make people feel genuinely welcomed and to facilitate a worship experience that is just top-notch for them as best as we can. So let's just pause for a second and have some fun and think about what people's expectations are about stuff. Um, this comes from Kenan Callahan, who's one of the big mucky-muck church coach consultant kind of things. Um, if you were born before 1950, raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. That's just about all of us, right? Raise your hand. We love you. We love you. We really do. We really do. And research shows that you all that raised your hands, you are people that expect authenticity. And you're surprised about excellence. You're people who long for genuine and honestly friendly relationships. That's key for you. That's key for you, that kind of genuine kind of stuff, right? And you don't particularly care if the sound system is bungled. Ah, they tried. They tried. Eh, doesn't matter really. And, and if the media screen has a problem in, or even if there is a media screen, you don't particularly care. You don't particularly care. And, and if the coffee is too watery and it's cold, I don't mind. I'm with Skip. I'm talking to Skip, right? I don't care about the coffee that much. Somebody cooked it. It wasn't me, but they, did, they tried. They tried. Bless you, you pre-1950 people. Now, if you were born after 1950, raise your hand. Oh, there's some of us here. Woo! Woo! We expect excellence. And we are surprised about authenticity, if that actually happens. We've been around the block a few times. We've been let down by a lot of things. And we, we know better, we think. And the folks who are born after the 1950s, well, they have a high expectation. We expect excellence in our presentations, in the sound system, in the media, and in the music, how well it's played, how whether we hear it or not, and the coffee. We'll even have in some of our churches that are dominated by people after the 50s, we'll have a Starbucks satellite out there. <laughs> Because we expect coffee as good as that, not just something you happen to make and maybe it's good or not. And if it's not excellent, <laughs> I'm going where it is. And we are pleasantly surprised to discover that people are actually genuinely friendly. 
And they mean it when they say welcome because we don't really expect that to be genuine. And when it is, that is so cool. So churches like us have an opportunity to decide whether we want to be a pre-1950s church and or do we want to cut our losses and be a post-1950 church and or is it God's wish for us that we would actually be a church of a number of generations? And I think that is us. And if we're going to do that well, we need to be a church that understands the hopes and the expectations across both of these large generational cohorts. We can't be an either-or. We have to be a both-and. Excellence in these things and excellence in these things of the heart. Excellent worship, authentic hospitality, are means to the end of the religious experience of a person. It's the way by which we help facilitate with the spirit a life-transforming experience and the nurture of a person through dipping their toes in to going out swimming with the dolphins. We have a window of opportunity to demonstrate that the spiritual to the spiritual water testers that this is a real place of Jesus and of love. Now, I think we can do that. Do you? Well, that was kind of lackluster. <laughs> Let me try that again. Say it like you mean it for us to continue on for another 50 years. I think we can do this. Do you? Yes. Amen. That sounds better. Amen.